This morning we're continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians. Last week, uh, well we're coming right to the end, last week Dave looked at the gospel affected soul and I don't know about you, I was affected um, just being challenged to sit at the feet of Jesus and see what the gospel affected soul looks like. This week we're spending some more time looking at the gospel affected this week mind, looking at anxiety and the gospel affected mind. He's going to really give us some a practical list of things this morning. God is from His Word. Practical things that we can do to apply the gospel to our minds. Uh, really, for me, it's a timely message. Uh, I've been surprisingly anxious in preparing this message on anxiety. Uh, I'm not coming at this as an expert on anxiety, except for personal experience, I guess. Um, Someone who's prone to worry but growing in grace. Uh, just an example of my anxiousness. Uh, just yesterday, uh, I was uh, with Jeremy and we're trying to move uh, kind of a rotisserie from Dural to someone else's place. I borrowed someone's car and uh, only one of the brake lights was working. And I was borrowing the trailer. None of the brake lights were working and only one of the indicators was working. And I thought to myself, this will be okay as long as there's not a highway patrol car at all. So I was taking all the back streets and <laughs> madly trying to avoid Adrian's hell. And uh, lo and behold, New Line Road, what, uh, New Line Road, what pulls in behind me but <laughs> highway patrol car. And my heart is going, <laughs> Lord, let it be Adrian, let it be Adrian. <laughs> and um, he turned right and left and didn't pull me over. So I don't know, was it you, brother? But, um, but um, prone to worry, prone to anxiety, but growing in grace. So I need to hear this message this morning uh, as much as you, if not more. So why don't we turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 4 to, to verse 9. We're going to focus in on those last two verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray.
Lord, we humbly come before your word this morning. A person, a man, a people prone to worry, prone to anxiety, prone to distrust in you. Lord, I pray you would help me. Help us. Lift our eyes to you, the God of peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want us to cast our eyes to what all of Sydney, all of Australia, in fact, has been talking about this week. And that is the execution by firing squad of two Australians, Andrew Chan and Mayuran Sukumaran, on Wednesday in the early hours of this morning. It was uh, back in 2006 that the Bali Niners, they became known, were caught for trying to smuggle some uh, four kilos of heroin from Bali to uh, Australia for sale and were caught by police and arrested. Uh, two of the ringleaders, obviously, Andrew and Mayuran, being sentenced to death. And what has become increasingly apparent, in fact, what people have been talking about, a lot about this week, is about one of those men in particular, Andrew Chan, and this seemingly undescribable, unimaginable peace and strength this man has been demonstrating in the face of impending death, the end of his life. In fact, uh, the reports on the news said that by their prompting, uh, by both Byron and Andrew, particularly Andrew Chan's prompting all of the eight, uh, face the firing squad without blindfolds and singing uh, grace, singing hymns of grace as the firing squad took that final shot. An amazing display of courage and peace. Well, one of the things that's become apparent as the media has been uh, looking at what is the cause for this peace and joy in this man, Andrew Chan, is that Andrew was actually had become in prison a born-again Christian. In fact, more than a born-again Christian, he had devoted some years to studying theology right up to the end of his life and become a pastor and devoted his life to helping others know Christ. And we can't help but see that this is part of this calm and positive 31-year-old we see facing his death. Jeff Hammond, uh, who was for four years uh, Andrew Chan's spiritual counsellor and pastor, after visiting him for the last time in prison, uh, says this, he, he said the following, he said, he's got a peace within his own heart. His hope, whether he lives or whether he dies, is that the fruit of what he's been able to produce will continue to be a blessing to other people. Isn't that beautiful? Amazing peace that comes from knowing the God of peace. Well, that is what we want to look at this morning. Where do we find that kind of peace? And so I want to ask us a question this morning. What will you do when anxiety strikes? What will you do when, when life is overwhelming? Where can we find a peace like that of Andrew Chan? Well, this morning, 
as I alluded to before, we're looking at this message entitled The Gospel Affected Mind. And really, two points this morning, but one main thrust, one main message, which I believe this morning is Paul's message for us. And that is that when anxiety strikes, you would follow Paul's example and allow the gospel to fill your mind. When anxiety comes, when it strikes, you would, like Paul, allow the gospel to fill your mind. Well, point one, a great example. Let's get stuck into our text this morning by beginning from the last verse, in fact, verse 9. Paul says this. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It says, literally says, which also. Paul is talking about what he's previously given. He's given them some specific instructions about how to guard their minds. And Paul says, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen in me. You've, you've seen my example. You've seen how I've been with you. The way I've acted, the way I've spoken, the things I've said, the things I've taught, the way I've sought to cast my anxieties on the Lord. You've seen my practice and now I'm telling you, do this. It's a command. Do these things. Practice this. You've seen my example. You've seen how I've been when I've been living with you, Philippians. So do likewise, says Paul. Well, what was Paul's example? What did Paul do? What was his practice? Read with me back to last week's uh, passage, verse 4. Paul says this, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, there's one word in that sentence that makes this sentence, this encouragement, absolutely amazing. Absolutely incredible. And that word is always. Rejoice in the word always. Always finding joy. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, Paul, are you serious? I mean, how about at 5 o'clock in the morning when I'm getting up for work with little sleep? Rejoice? Always. But Paul, I'm sick and work is piling up at the office. I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. The kids are going nuts and not sleeping. Rejoice? Always. I mean, Paul, how is this possible? Read with me again. Rejoice in the Lord. It's rejoicing in the Lord. It's in knowing Christ. It's in being saved. It's being washed clean, adopted. It's in the gospel that Paul finds joy. You see, for Paul, he found the gospel to be a constant stream of joy regardless of circumstance. Regardless of situation. For Paul, the gospel was a constant source, a constant stream of joy. Well, what else? What else was 
Paul's example. Not just rejoicing always, but verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, Paul had a lot of reasons to be anxious. He had a lot of reason to be anxious. He was constantly opposed. He was beaten to within an inch of his life. Last time he was with the Philippians, or at least the first time, he was mocked, he went hungry, and he described ultimately he had care for all of these churches. Not only that, he's now, as he pens this letter, in prison. And I mean, we, this prison is hard. I mean, it's not like, you know, I don't know if you watch that show, Hard Time, where, you know, people talk about, you know, doing hard time in prisons, in modern prisons. I mean, modern prisons, they have comfy beds and they have regular food. I mean, Paul is likely experiencing the elements, both extreme cold and hot in summer. He's shackled on a hard floor. Likely there's cuts and abrasions around where his shackles lie. He's in a small cell. He probably never leaves his cell. I mean, Paul had every reason to be anxious. And yet he says, do not be anxious about anything. But make it known to God. This is, this is a command he gives us. Make it known to God, Paul says. Pray to God. Let, let God know. That's Paul's practice. The truth is for us, we can be prone to anxiety, can't we? By anxiety, I'm, I'm not talking about an appropriate concern for others. That, that's why, I mean, Paul talks about his concern for all the churches. It's, it's appropriate at times to care about others and to think about others and be concerned for them. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not that kind of anxiety. We're talking about fear that is based in not trusting God's promises and his character. Fear that's based in disbelief. And we have many things that we fear, don't we? I've got a list here. Fear for your safety and, and the safety of those you love. Fear about how you'll die, whether it be a progressive debilitating disease or Alzheimer's or that you'll die broke or alone or from cancer. Fear about living a meaningless life that you'll never do anything of worth. Fear about being in love and being hurt. Fear about being unloved or alone. Here's a big one for us. Fear about what you might lose, whether it be your figure, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your hair, your youth, your mind, your money, your job, your spouse, your health, your hobbies, your purpose, your faith. We have many fears. We have many anxieties. And Paul encourages us from this word, God's word, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, whose example are you following when trouble strikes? Are you following the world's example? Are you following your parents' example? Are you 
possibly making your own way. Paul says, follow me. He says, practice these things. He says, sit at the Saviour's feet and tell him what you're afraid of. And there's a promise for us in verse 7. Read verse 7 with me. He says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. You know, Paul is probably looking at a Roman guard who's watching over him. And he's saying the peace of God will be for you like this Roman guard is for me, watching over you, guarding you, protecting you. Paul's example when anxiety strikes is not to be rattled, but it's to rejoice. It's not to worry, but to wait on the Lord, to sit to save his feet. Well, that's my first point, a great example. Second point today is a great application. What do we do when we sit at the Saviour's feet? You know, we've seen Paul's example, how he sits at the Saviour's feet, and now we're going to turn to look at what we do when we're there. How can we position ourselves to cast off those anxieties when we sit there? Some people would say to you, empty your mind. Just get rid of all those worries. Cast them off. Empty yourself. Paul says the opposite. He says, Fill your mind. Read with me verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. It means to give careful thought to, to ponder, to contemplate, to let your mind dwell on these things. And, and note that what Paul is saying here again, it's a command. Do this, says Paul. When we come to the Lord's feet, we are to let our mind dwell on things. And Paul gives us a list of eight things for us to dwell on. I'm going to unpack each of these now in in order. And I'm going to spend the most time on the first one. So don't get panicked as we look at the first one as though we're going to be here for hours and hours. I'm going to be much brief on the others because I feel the, the first one is the key to the rest. And the first one is, if you read with me verse 8 again, it is whatever is true. Think about these things. Whatever is true. Believing in what is true, I put to you, is the key to following Jesus in a broken world. What is true? You see, Satan is the father of lies and his main weapon to us as Christians is to try and coerce us into believing in things that are false. Fear. That's what it stands for, isn't it? False evidence appearing real. Fear, false evidence appearing real. The world, it says to us, this, what you see around you is all there is. There's nothing else. The world says, you are the master of your own destiny. Make of life what you will. Work harder, work smarter, work longer. Be the best you can and enjoy it before it's all too late. Don't waste it, says the world. 
Satan's great lie to us, church, is that life is all about you. And life is up to you alone. It's all about you and you're by yourself. You're all alone. And we can, we can begin to believe the lies at school. What if I, what if I fail that exam and miss that job and fail to provide or work? What if I can't cope with the stress and miss that promotion? I'm retrenched at the end of the year and I can't pay my mortgage or face my family or afford to retire or sickness. What if this is it for life? Or what if it comes back and returns or we, we never have children or I'm always in pain or it leads to my death. How will I cope? Who will care for my family? Or at home, what if, what if we always fight and we can never find reconciliation? Or what if she or he leaves me? Or what if they never follow Jesus? What if they never respect me? The future. What if the market collapses? What if I'm persecuted for my faith? What if illness strikes? What if war breaks out? I mean, for me, if I'm honest, a big fear for me is mental health. I mean, my family has been devastated by mental health. And I think to myself sometimes, well, maybe I'm just a ticking time bomb. Maybe one day I'm going to just lose my mind and I start to think, well, maybe that was a crazy thought. False evidences appearing real. We can begin to believe lies. Life is not about me and I don't walk through this life alone. I may, I may be one day mentally ill, but Christ will be with me. Christ will work His good purposes in and through me still. When Anxiety strikes, we must think about truth. God is our creator and our sustainer. He made the whole world and everything that is in it. He upholds the world by the power of His word and the might of His hand. Nothing that is was not formed first by Him. He knows us down to the individual hair on our head. A hair falls off your head, God knows it by number. Isn't that amazing? And yet we reject Him. We turn our back on Him and say, away with you. And yet though we reject Him, our maker becomes one of us, humbled as a man, dying in agony as he bears the punishment we deserve to make a way for us to be right with him. Amazing grace. And now he walks with us. We never walk alone through faith in Christ. The cross makes this spectacular truth possible that Christ, God himself, his Holy Spirit could dwell in us, Creator, dwelling in and with creation. Paul writes this in Romans 8.31. Hear this. What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Verse 38 and 39, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Nothing can separate us from Him. He is always with us. He will never forsake us. Are you a Christian? I want to ask you this morning, what are you anxious about? What are you concerned about? What are you fearful of? Name your fear. Name your fear. The Lord is at hand, Paul says. He is both with us and he is coming again. What do we have to be afraid of? You know, it's like a small child being bullied at school. A child who every morning is afraid because he knows that when he leaves home and gets to school, he'll face those bullies. He'll pick on him. He'll tease him. He will even physically assault him. And every morning he wakes up and he's plagued by fear. Now imagine that child facing his bullies his father standing behind him. What does that child have to be afraid of? Nothing. His father is with him. And so it is with us. That is what is true. Our Heavenly Father is always with us. What should we fear? When anxiety strikes, Paul says, fill your mind with what is true. Preach truth. Secondly, what is honourable? What is worthy of praise? You know, Paul lived in an honour-shame culture. And so they talked about this all the time in his, in his culture. They loved to honour strength. They loved to honour power. They loved to honour intellect, preaching, skill, wealth, sophistication. These were the things that people honoured. And Paul is not here talking about worldly honour. He's not talking about worldly sense of what is honourable. He's talking about honour from a Christian perspective. You see, when temptation, when anxiety strikes, our temptation is in fact that puts you to think about worldly honour. To think about worldly things. How will my colleagues respect me if I work harder? Or the person I like, how they'll be impressed if I make this team. Or how I'll be the next success story in overcoming this illness. Or I'll have the flexible partying lifestyle if only I could get this job. Or how my kids will be thankful and respect me if only I persevere in this. Our temptation is to think about worldly honour, isn't it? When anxiety strikes, Paul says, think of truly honourable things. Think of truly praiseworthy things. He has in mind people who have poured out their lives for the gospel. People like Epaphroditus, who was just 
absolutely concerned that, that the church would even find out that he was sick almost to death. He, did, he doesn't want them to be worried. He's more concerned about the gospel and, and encouraging and supporting Paul. And so he's worried when they find out he's been sick. Honourable things. People worthy of honour. People like Timothy, who gave his life and risked his life for the sake of the gospel. The way in which others have walked through trials with joy and peace. Honourable things, honourable people. That's what Paul wants to encourage us in. You know, there are so many examples in this church. I mean, I think like of Rachel, who walked through six years of chronic fatigue syndrome with absolute trust in Christ and joy and peace. I think of Andrew, who walked through divorce with joy and a rich trust and hope that Christ was his all and grace and continued just serving Christ. Things like this that are honourable. And think, as we consider others that are honourable, think, Christ will look so sweet if I persevere and love just like these. You know, just this week I was sitting at Edgecliff Station at 7 o'clock in the morning, waiting for my work to start. Um, and uh, I was sitting at the train station and thinking about you know, my devotions and thinking about work for the week and thinking about this message and finding myself getting a little bit anxious. And then suddenly into my head popped Steve Byers. And I asked if I could share this. But Steve Byers... For three years, walked through every day with unbearable migraines. And yet you might not even know if you met him or spoke with him. Such was his trust and faith and joy in Christ. And Christ has been doing this amazing work in him. Such that if you talk to Steve at that time, he would, he would talk about how he's confident that God is working something in his life building him to trust him more. He's just not sure of what it is. And as I thought about Steve and what God is doing in his life, my heart was just like, I was almost crying. Like I was just thinking of him and just suddenly I just filled with this joy to think about what God is doing. When anxiety strikes, Paul says, fill your mind with what is honourable. Thirdly, whatever is just, this is from that, that justice-righteousness word group. It means what ought to happen for justice to occur. You know, when temptation strikes, when anxiety comes, we can begin to fantasize about things, can't we? We can begin to think about what will happen and make up things in our mind. We can begin to think like the world's idea of justice, like an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. When anxiety strikes, we can fill our minds with things that are not righteous. I don't know if you're like me, I tend to have these mirror conversations where you know I'm brushing my teeth and then suddenly I'm imagining the person in the mirror is that person that I need to have a difficult conversation with and I just start imagining how the conversation like goes like, no, 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 you're an idiot and then I you know, come back with some really witty comment back to let them know, you know, like how silly they are and I'm the smart one and right in this. And I don't know if you do that or what's your example. We can begin to think how the world thinks about what is just. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, or we can also think about other things. Like we can put our mind on other unjust things. 
Like when anxiety strikes, lying on a resume to increase our job prospects in the hope that we'll get that job. Or when we're struggling to pay the mortgage, giving up on giving the church and being faithful. Our minds can begin to be filled with unrighteous thoughts. When anxiety strikes, Paul says we're to think about what is just, what ought to happen. We're to think about Christ's example of justice. His radical love of returning hate with love. Radical generosity. He says, turn the other cheek. I mean, that's crazy. Pray for those who are trying to chase you down and kill you. That is the kind of radical love Paul calls us to. Radical, radical love. Perfect justice. Giving to others what has been given to us. When anxiety strikes, fill your mind, says Paul, with what is just. Fourthly, whatever is pure. Things that are pure. It's the holy group of words, holy words. Holy things. And maybe you're thinking at this point, for your mind, what is pure? Like, seriously, Paul? Like, man, like some sort of killjoy? Like, you know, all good and proper, holy things? But the truth is, When anxiety strikes, we can fill our minds with or we can try and escape with immoral distraction. You know, in Paul's day, sexual immorality was tied to worship. That was even part of their religious system in Paul's day. And here in Sydney, sexuality and sensuality with no thought at all towards God is absolutely rampant. The world says, do what feels Right to you. And if you feel that way, you should do it. Be true to yourself. Sleep with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend. Look at porn or films that should be porn. Crude humour, dirty memes, YouTube clips. Fill our minds when anxiety strikes. There's almost a distraction with these immoral things, with things that are not pure. You know, I, I, I don't know. Have you ever wondered why sexual temptation is most often at its peak when anxiety is most intense. It's because we escape anxiety by filling our minds with things that are not pure. And Paul says, when anxiety strikes, fill your mind with what is pure. Thoughts of God, his attributes, his, his character, his presence, his love. When anxiety strikes, fill your mind with what's pure. Number five, whatever is lovely. Now, this word doesn't mean like cupcakes and flowers and perfume. It's not like that. Literally the word, and possibly a better translation, is what causes pleasure. What is pleasing? What is amiable? What is delightful? What is lovely? Now, when anxiety strikes, we can be tempted to fill our minds with worldly pleasures, can't we? with worldly sources of pleasure and joy, with cheap imitations of the joy that can be found in Christ. Imagining my retirement with a house on the beach up the coast or or a flexible job so that I could travel and relax. I mean, for me, it's like when I'm anxious, I get out TripAdvisor and suddenly I'm looking at which capital city or place, you know, I'd love to take Charlotte or Booking.com and just thinking about, you know, my next holiday that I'm going to take or not take. Um, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a successful career with, with recognition from your colleagues. The thing that your mind goes through when you're daydreaming. 
longing for the weekend and the comfort of bed rather than more of Christ. When anxiety strikes, Paul calls us to think about what causes true pleasure. Like the beauties of God's creation. Like the glories of Calvary. Like our future with Christ. Like his evidence of his work in the lives of people we know. You know, just this last week, thinking about what Riley shared here on Sunday about youth and about eight of the 11 youth just recommitting or making a commitment to Christ at kick. And isn't there something exciting about that? Isn't there something that just like stirs your heart with affection for Christ about that? That you just think, that is so good to see God working in and through this church. Paul says, fill your mind with things that cause true pleasure. With what is lovely. Next, number six, what is commendable? What is praiseworthy? It's the idea of things that are said carefully with respect to someone else. Carefully chosen words of respect. Giving care to bring someone honour and not maligning them at all. Like a soldier giving praise to a general. Respect and honour. I think this takes us back to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul encourages, he says, he says, humbly consider others as of more significance than yourself. I think the reason why Paul takes us to this, whatever is commendable, is that when anxiety strikes, we can be tempted to fill our minds with thoughts that are disrespectful towards others, with thoughts that are not commendable. Harsh and critiquing thoughts. Thoughts that are lacking in grace, kindness or compassion, seeing the worst in people rather than the best. That person who's offended you, that difficult child, that lazy colleague, that, that nosy neighbour, we begin to think of things that are disrespectful towards others, not commendable. Paul says this is not the way of Christ. When anxiety strikes, fill your mind with things that are commendable. Number seven. If there is any excellence, says Paul. Literally, this word means excellence of character. It's a word used for those worthy of merit in Roman society, those who would be awarded or crowned with some reward for their excellent service to society. Think about what excellent character looks like in your situation, says Paul. Think about outstanding character. I think it's such a good encouragement because the truth is when anxiety strikes, we can focus either on one of two things. That is, firstly, on seeking approval from others and thinking about what they would like, stretching the truth or lying to impress or acting according to what will please or craving approval and only thinking about what is popular or accepted. Or the second temptation I think we face when anxiety comes is to cut corners and be dishonest. You know, even just uh, last week or two weeks ago, sorry, uh, happened to me at work. Um, we were finishing up for the day, and I was just, I was just thinking, oh man, I just really would love to have like an afternoon with Charlotte, no distractions. And one of the things we do at work is we check in with everyone else, and you're allowed to finish early if everyone is done. 
and um, I spoke to one of my colleagues and um, said, oh, you know, I'm on, on my way home and I checked in with a few people and she said, oh, have you checked in with the intensive care team to see how they're going? And instinctively I said, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, they're, everyone's finally got one or two left. And then as I was walking down the stairs, it suddenly occurred to me, that was a lie. I absolutely had not checked with them. I'd forgotten about them. So I walked back up the stairs and went back to one of the phones and called them up and lo and behold, they're really, really busy and could love some help. And then suddenly I find myself working with a patient in a bed next to this other colleague that I'd just spoken to, helping with someone else. I'd, I'd, I felt absolutely ashamed. I'd told a lie. Cutting corners when anxiety strikes. Our temptation is to, to think of anything but excellence of character. When anxiety strikes, Paul encourages us to fill our minds with examples of excellent character. Live for the audience of one. Concern yourself with God's final praise. And lastly, Paul says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about things that we should give thanks to God for. Observations of where he's at work in the world around us, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs. You know, when anxiety strikes, we can so quickly focus on complaint things that we're unhappy with. We can become focused on our disappointments and our challenges, sporting failures, complaints about government, complaints about quality of coffee, complaints about food, complaints about work and complaints about church. The quality of the music, the preaching, the the small groups, the social outings, the evangelism, the care. And Paul says to us, we are to fill our minds with grace. We're to focus on things that we're grateful for. You know, it's such a challenge for me in this, and this has not been my history of doing this. And so one of the things that I've tried to do, you know, even in the early days of Charlotte and I's marriage, is that we would end every night praying with at least one thing that we're thankful for at the end of the day. One thing, surely there has to be one thing, Lord, that we're thankful for that we can give praise to God for. Paul encourages us in closing, when anxiety strikes to fill our minds with things that are worthy of praise. Well, having surveyed this list, I want to encourage you, allow God's work to give you a diagnostic look at your mind. What is the state of your mind? What do you fill it with? Are your thoughts and dreams worldly? Does your mind quickly turn to cheap imitations, to false hopes that can never satisfy you? Or are you filling your mind with the glories of Calvary every day? You know what? The truth is that there's not a person in this room who has filled their mind rightly. There is only one whose thoughts are perfectly true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy, and that's our Lord and Saviour Jesus. The point is not to be condemned, but to let this be a balm for your soul and a tool for when trouble strikes. For as you allow the gospel to affect your mind, Paul, that is God through Paul, leaves you with a clear promise. Like a child before a bully with his father behind you, 
He promises you the peace of God from the God of peace. And my prayer is that when anxiety strikes, you'll follow the example of Paul and allow the gospel to fill your mind. Let's pray. The Lord Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, we thank you that you are a sovereign God who is loving and kind and our Father. Lord, we thank you that life is not about us and that we never walk through life alone. Lord, we are people that are weak. I'm a person who's weak and and so slow to trust you at times. Lord, I just pray, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to fill our minds with Calvary, with the gospel. Help the gospel to be constantly on our mind as we think about all these things that you've given to us today, all the glories of all you've done, all that is good and true and praiseworthy and lovely and commendable and excellent. Lord, fill our minds with these things and may anxiety be left behind, Lord, as peace descends. We pray this in Jesus' name.